Hello, everybody, and welcome to another bonus episode of The World of Aora. If you're new to the show, thank you for joining me today. This show aims to look at the lore, history, and game mechanics of Pillars of Eternity as we gear up for the release of Avowed, all developed over at Obsidian Entertainment. This week's episode is a supplementary episode from the one I just did about the deity of Skane, which is the god of secret hatred and violent rebellion, you know, all the happy-go-lucky stuff like that. Today's episode will feature major spoilers for Pillars of Eternity 1, so if you are not looking to have anything in Pillars of Eternity 1 spoiled, I recommend skipping this short episode. Now, we're going to be diving into a a book called The History of Eora, Volume 10, The Man Who Would Be Skane. And we're going to be diving into what it has to say and speculating on what it may or may not mean. With no news to go over, we're just going to jump straight into today's lore. I'm curious, what exactly did you find there? So in Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire, specifically the Forgotten Sanctum DLC, you enter into a region of the world where you have access to very esoteric knowledge. And there are a series of books that you can find within the library of this location that have pretty crazy lore about this world. It's called The History of Aeora, Volumes 1 through 15, and each book has its own title. And we're going to be reading from Volume 10 today, titled The Man Who Would Be Skane. Now, one thing I do want to point out very quickly, as I will point out whenever I bring up these books, is that they are under the control of a group known as the Hand Occult, which are known for holding on to secret knowledge, as well as editing books, sometimes to add truth into books, but also sometimes to add... Um, obfuscation into books to make sure that the truth isn't let out. So anything we read from these books may or may not actually be true. We're, we don't know whether or not the these History of Aora texts have been edited already by the Hand Occult, or that they were in the queue to be edited. We don't actually have any definitive way of knowing that. This book references how the god Skane came into be, uh, and if you haven't jumped uh, away from this episode yet because you're worried about spoilers, leave now as your last warning. The book reads as follows. Kreatus quickly installed himself as Nua's most favored advisor and set about tearing the Ingwithin establishment apart from within. So in this first opening line, we already have a lot to kind of touch on. The Ingwithin people are an ancient civilization, far more ancient than the old superpowers that we've talked about in other episodes. These guys are like, thousands and thousands of years in the past, and they are no longer a civilization that's around. When you go into the lore and facts about the Ingwithin civilization from the past, you learn that they were very advanced in areas of animancy, which is basically science of the soul, and um, they had a very advanced society. And so it's kind of a mystery as to what made them disappear. Of course, those who have played the game, we know, but we're not going to talk about that one today. Within the Ingwithin civilization, there was at one point a king known as Odnua, who was a wise and good king for a long time, but he was driven mad at the death of his son. So Odnua, in his madness, was, um, he, he stopped being a good king. We'll dive into his story in another episode because it's pretty lengthy and it, it's worth talking about. But Odnua, upset about his son's death, kind of is not a good king anymore. He starts to do some pretty shady things involving the death of a lot of his subjects. And people, of course, are none too happy about this, and they are seeking seeking to topple his establishment. 
And so we enter in this first sentence here. A man named Creatus has installed himself as Nua's favored advisor, and he set about tearing the Inguithan establishment apart from within. His lies turned the most powerful against one another, and his forgeries undermined trade negotiations in a decade in the making. So this Creatus guy, he's entered as Odd Nua, the, the, the now mad king. He's entered in as his advisor, and he is turning the powerful people of this society against each other. He's forging documents which are undermining trade negotiations that have been working for like a decade now. He is destroying his establishment from within, probably because of all the atrocities that the Mad King is doing. There was money to be made in exploiting the Discord, but he didn't line his own pockets with it. He surreptitiously handed it out to the populace, when his quiet rebellion was eventually uncovered, he was tortured near to death and presented with a choice. Put his skills to work for the people he'd striven to destroy, or die at the hands of the church inquisitors. And Creatus kept his life, at least for a time. So with this last half and the ending of this little volume that we have here, we kind of learn a lot about this Creatus person. So he was earning a lot of money by doing this. I mean, he's he's Nua's most favorite advisor. You're the most favorite advisor to the king. Of course, you're going to be making a lot of money. But he doesn't keep the money for himself. No, what he does is he funds a small but quiet rebellion. He's, he funds this uprising amongst the populace of the people who want to overthrow this mad king. He, of course, is discovered. And he is given a choice to stay alive. I imagine because he was very useful. And that is essentially to either work for these people that he had been trying to destroy this whole time, or to die himself. And the last line saying that Creatus kept his life implies that he chose to work for the people that he was trying to destroy. But the last few words, at least for a time, implies that he is still not done trying to destroy them. The lore might end here. We might say, like, yeah, here's Kratos, a man after Skane's own heart, you know, someone that wants to destroy an oppressive ruler and is very quietly and secretly funding a rebellion to destroy him. And he even takes the opportunity to stay alive just so he could possibly seek revenge in the future. That would be very Skane-like. If you remember my episode that we just finished, we described worshippers of the god Skane are people that worship the god in secret, and they harbor hatred in their heart, and they try to cause um, rebellion or revenge in a very secretive manner. Right? They're not about big, flashy explosions and taking people down and making a name for themselves. They're about working from the shadows kind of thing, seething with hatred. Kratos, if I'm understanding this correctly, is not just another Skainite. He is the man who would become Skain. And that's the hint right there in the title of this volume, Volume 10, The Man Who Would Be Skane. The reason that I think Kratos ends up becoming the god Skane, or at least Kratos ends up becoming a large part of what makes Skane who he is, is because of the apotheosis project that the Inguithan nation underwent. So, if you've played Pillars of Eternity 1 all the way through, you'll learn this about the gods of the world. That the gods of Aora, all the gods we've been talking about in this show and we see in the game, they are created by mundane people. The Inguithan civilization invented the gods, literally created them. How did they do that? Well, that's something we can dive into in another episode. But long story short, they essentially sacrificed the souls and the bodies of all of their civilization. It took that large 
level of sacrifice to create the gods and keep them sustained. And so you have all the values and the virtues um, and the natural drives of the Nguithan society that are put into these gods. That, that's kind of the basic understanding of how I have it. I, there's other ways to describe it, obviously, but you only have so much time in episodes, so that's what we're going to go with. And it seems like Kratos embodies who and what Skane is as a god. And this title, the man who would be Skane, implies that Kratos himself either becomes the person who is Skane, having been embodied and powered by all the souls of the rest of the Nguithan civilization, or that Kratos perfectly embodies who Skane would be. There's a, there's a little bit of, I'm not really 100% sure exactly on how the the gods come to be, you know, if all the Skaney-ish people in the Nguithan civilization just contributed that portion of their personality to the Skane pot when that god was made. You know, like, I'm, I'm not 100% sure on how that's supposed to work out. If anyone out there who knows more about this stuff wants to email me, let me know, or if they've noticed something, send me an email, worldofaora at gmail.com. But for now, what we have here in Kratos is we have here the perfect image before Skane existed of what Skane is about. You have a man who enters in to the nobility and is serving the people quietly with a smile on his face, all the while unraveling all the work they've been doing, setting people against each other, and quietly funding a rebellion in the background to overtake a mad king. Like, that is that is a Skane thing, for like straight out of a Skane textbook. You know, we, we talked about the Skane scripture in the last episode, and that's straight out of it. That's exactly how it works. And Kratos is embodying what it means to be Skane. And so he very well may actually be Skane in the long run, whether or not he remembers it. That's everything for today's bonus episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, it was really fun going. I love going through these History of Aora books because they get in some pretty esoteric stuff. And this thought that there could be one person who becomes the god Skane, it makes me wonder if um, if there's any any ways to like go through a soul's past life and really, really see who these gods were before they became gods, if that's how it works. I, I find this kind of stuff interesting. But that's all we got for today. Uh, does this have anything to do with Avowed? Not that I can think about, unless, of course, we meet Kratos in some way, shape, or form, personally. Uh, I don't know how that might happen. There is a chance that Avowed could be set so far in the distant past from Pillars of Eternity that it is happening in the Inguithan times. There is a chance that could happen. The lore would allow it, obviously, and the people at Obsidian can do what they want. So there's a chance they might actually do that. I, I don't think so, but you never know. We haven't gotten any information yet so we don't know what the game's going to be set in anyways that's all we're going to talk about thanks everyone for listening if you want to send me an email you can reach me worldofaora at gmail.com or follow me on twitter at worldofaora thanks everybody i've been your host eric aka gingerino and i'll see you guys next time mm-hmm.